Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wise Counsel Weekly, powered by Athenian Consulting Group. I'm your host, Tanyan Farley, and I have my co-host with me, Alex Francis. With everything that's been going on the last week and a half, um, we wanted to share a message from Athenian this morning before we got started. As one of the country's leading minority-owned small business professional service firms, we stand with all those who face injustice, racism, and hatred on a daily basis. We are committed to delivering with integrity both in our community and with our clients. We believe that no matter your background, you should have the chance to succeed and grow to your potential, both personally and professionally. Now we'll take a quick moment of silence for George Floyd. All right, so today's podcast will be a little different. Um, basically in light of what's going on outside. And we just wanted to have a candid conversation um, about the situations um, with the structure of our government, with the structure of the police and how we feel about, you know, what steps we can take going forward and possibly how we can create a better future. Yeah, we, we fully believe that, you know, there are, this is a business podcast at the end of the day, but there are issues outside of, you know, the walls of an office that do impact what happens within a business. And so we feel that it's incredibly important to address this situation and address what's happening and have candid conversations about it so that, you know, we can be better prepared to interact in the office space so that our listeners can be better prepared to interact, you know, with people in their community and in the office. And honestly, too, so we can better understand what injustice looks like and the different forms that it takes. So, we're going to have a pretty open conversation today about this between Alex and I, uh, just for our listeners that may not know. Uh, I am white, Alex is black, uh, so we kind of have different backgrounds that we grew up in. And so I think this conversation will be good to kind of talk through you know, how the last couple of days has shaped how we feel about what's going on and then obviously you know, the response that's going on as well. Absolutely. So today on the agenda, as we just discussed, uh, the main topic will be just a conversation of social justice. Um, we'll move into some quick hits from our managing partner, Bobby Dixon, possibly on the same uh, topic, as well as moving it into a business perspective as well. And then for the big three today, we'll have actions we can take and changes we can make, um, as well as things, you know, just to help you clear your mind uh, when you want to have get away from all the situations going on right now. Yeah, I think that's important. We want to make sure we have, you know, a big three that's tangible, that is actionable, but also mental health is really important. We're coming out of a quarantine and I know that there's a lot of folks that have been isolated for a long time and are not as mentally healthy as they normally are. So hopefully, you know, we can help you kind of clear your mind a bit with everything that's going on and really focus on what's going on. So I think to kick off, you know, game time, our main topic today, I'll just start with this, Alex, why don't you give me just some high level thoughts about, you know, the last seven days. I know there's a lot of ways that, you know, this can go, but just kind of your, your thoughts on the situation and the response. Um, just for me, it's, it's been interesting. Um, it's been different versus the last few issues that we've had like this with police and police brutality and, and just police mis- misconduct as a whole. With seeing that usually, you know, there's protests, there's riots, and I feel like it's a different sense out there this time. I feel like there's a different pride in, in everyone and they're feeling you know, not only in the black community, but as the nation as a whole, uh, people are kind of tired of this situation. And, we, and you can see it a little differently as more people are coming forward, more allies are joining with the with black with the black people and standing outside and, and protesting in the riots and things of that nature. Um, but I, I feel like this step this time is the step in the correct direction. Um, I've gotten a few phone calls from some of my white friends and former teammates um, asking different questions that I've never heard them ask before. Or like, you know, what can I do different? Uh, how can I help? What can I do to make change? And that right there alone, it just speaks volumes that, you know, wasn't happening before. Not saying that they weren't thinking about it before, but just the fact that they're taking an initiative to ask me, a black man, you know, what can they do to help to move the, move the needle in a sense? Um, and that right there speaks so many volumes to me. Um, it's definitely showing me that um, there's a change coming. Um, and these are, you know, can't, I mean, granted, change possibly won't be 10, 20 years from now, but these baby steps are what we need uh, to continue to, to take steps in the right direction. Yeah, 
I completely agree. I, I know for myself and Alex and I have talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks um, and, and really specifically over the last seven days, you know, what different scenarios look like to each of us, how we can best respond. And so I think Alex, in summary, you know, of your thoughts, I, I think the takeaway here and the positive here is really just the awareness and the understanding for so many people that maybe were not aware before, or didn't choose to be aware. I know right. that there are conversations that Alex and I have had over the last couple of days that we've never had before. Um, and that's not because either of us chose to not have the conversation, but I also think that the topics maybe never came up and there were things that I've learned that I didn't know before. Right. And I, and so I think understanding that people in this country are becoming more aware of what's going on, I think is good. I think as Alex mentioned, we're not going to change a, you know, a multi millennium problem in one day. We're not going to change it in one year. We're not going to change it in 10 years. We may not change it in a hundred years, but I do think that taking baby steps at a time, like you mentioned, even if it's small steps within your community, uh, I think is great. Right. And, and I think that we're going to talk a little bit later about the big three of, you know, some really tangible action items you can take to do that. But I think, you know, it, as Alex mentioned, having these conversations, I think is really where it begins. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just like you mentioned, as we were talking earlier, we talk all the time about a lot of different things and a lot of different situations and some things that we just never came across or never thought of before have come up. Like I didn't know that uh, the ratio between um, blacks and whites as they get pulled over by the police were so far apart. I thought the I thought the targets were a little bit closer. I thought it was maybe 50 percent of the time more or, or maybe 75 percent of the time more. But today I kind of learned that. Uh, there are some white people out there that have only been pulled over once or, or not at all in their entire lifetime, entire 40, 30 years of living. Um, when I, we have a counterpart that we work with that's been pulled over six times in the last year. And, and, and of course, he's a black man. Um, understanding situations like that from both perspectives, and I think is what we need to do in today's day and age as we have these conversations. Um, understanding what the other group is feeling like, understanding and, and sympathizing with what the other group is, is going through. I think the big key to helping us um, achieve the next the next path, like Arian Foster said um, on a podcast that both Tang and I were listening to this week, that uh, we're not asking the white community to feel guilty for anything going on. We just want you to empathize uh, with the situations that are at hand, empathize with the situation that um, the structure of our you know legal system is putting us through. Um, and I think the empathy will lead to change for all. Um, as we move forward to make a better future for our, our our children, our families, and just a nation as a whole. Yeah, I think you hit a key piece on the head there, and and really something that Alex and I have discussed a lot, which is you know what what can we do about it? And you know, in the last week or so, you know, we've seen a lot of different responses, right? We've seen we've seen peaceful protests, we've seen riots, we've seen letters to senators, we've seen you know, appeals on TV. We've seen all kinds of social media movements, right? Some that I think are probably beneficial, some that are not, right? I think Alex, you'd probably agree with that. And I think that for us, understanding the things that are being put upon us in society, whether it be from our media presence, from our government forces, whatever it may be, and understanding how that shapes your outlook on life, I think is really important. You know, we had a conversation earlier about, you know, how things come to this point, right? How we view things. Right? Right. If you're if you're raised a certain way, the way you perceive things changes. And so I think really small steps start at home. You know, like right. Alex mentioned, the Arian Foster podcast, he talked about, I can't go solve this myself. Like I, I Tanya Farley cannot go solve this myself. Alex cannot go solve it himself. Mm-hmm. I think understanding the small things you can fix in your life. I think is really important. One of the you know things that I shared with Alex earlier, um, you know, which is just kind of interesting in the way that we grew up. You know, I grew up in a very tolerant, understanding household, and my parents were very, you know, on it about making sure that we understood other cultures, right? Whether it be whatever it may be, and we got to you know a point in the conversation, Alex, and I were talking about that. You know, there was a point in my life when I was younger where I thought if a, you know, a person of color was driving a nice sports car, was driving an expensive car that they came, that they were in entertainment or they were in music or they were in professional sports. 
it never crossed my mind that, you know, they're a CEO, they own a company, they're an entrepreneur. And it didn't, it didn't really, I didn't, that reg, didn't register with me until I was in high school. And I realized there's people of all races, all colors that are successful entrepreneurs, but the world that we live in has put that upon us. And, and it was funny because I made the comment and I think Alex, you said, you know, don't feel bad about that. I had the same thought growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Just the media perception of it. Um, it's kind of what we see. Um, it's kind of what we get used to. And, and again, like you just said, it's all about your environment and where you grew up and um, the situation that you had to face or didn't have to face. Um, that's what shapes us to the future and shapes us to the man that we are today. Um, but that's also what shaped a lot of the people that are seeing this uh, situation differently from us. Um, it's the way they were raised. It's the way they were brought up. It's the situations they were in. It's the people that they grew up around. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just didn't have to face certain situations that other others do. So having those conversations is, is what leads to understanding all around um, with, and you know, being, like I said before, empathetic um, with what someone else is going through. Um, and I think uh, as a whole, we just have to kind of work toward making that change for the future, making that change um, in the system that we're all living in. And of course, that, you know, works with voting. And of course, that works with, you know, more people taking the understanding to the situation and, and figuring out the ways that we can help. But uh, what are some of the ways that you're thinking of right now, Tanya? So we are in the business of solutions. That's mm -hmm. what that's what we do all day, every day. And a lot of times the solutions are, you know, how do I make my business more efficient? So in this scenario, there's obviously a lot of different angles we can go with this, right? We can talk right. about societally how you know, people view each other. We can talk about economically how things are set up, but I, I kind of want to speak today on the specific issue at hand, right? And I feel like mm -hmm. in, and we heard this on another podcast as well, but in America, and I think everyone sees this, we are so quick to jump from caring about the issue to caring about the response to the issue and then getting mad at the people who respond to the issue. Right. So I, I want to circle back to the actual issue for a second here, which is there have been far too many killing of people, okay, white, black, otherwise, right? Specifically black at the at the situation right now, we're talking about by our police officers and by government officials in the United States. Yeah. It's wrong, right? The thing that I think is key to start with, right? The, the point that I would start with in this conversation and how I think about the solution is, there are thousands and thousands of great police officers in the United States. Alex and I both know some. We have family that are some. I know there are great police officers. Yep. But the piece that I think has gone unchecked for too long is it's hard for a good police officer to speak out against bad police officers. Right. It's a team, right? At the end of the day, when Alex and I were on a team together in college, if I came out and said, you know, Alex isn't doing this or Alex is doing this, it would be hard for Alex and I to line up on the field with each other and trust mm -hmm. each other. Right. So I think about in the police force, you know, it's very hard to you know, report that kind of thing, to raise that kind of thing. And so I think there are lots of good cops that are doing a great job protecting us and protecting the city. But I do think that there needs to be from a solution perspective, right? We have to find a way to have a third party that isn't involved in politics, right? That yeah. is not involved in the sheriff or the DA or really any of those settings that can help, you know, that really, you know, work with the police unions or reform the police unions to have some sort of accountability. Because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, I think it's unfair to assume that groups that have shared interests, whether politically or otherwise, Mm -hmm. are going to provide the best levels of accountability for folks in that group. I mean, you, you think about it from, from another perspective, right? Companies hire third-party auditors to look at their taxes because at the end of the day, the, aud the group that's doing in-house tax audit and the company are both trying to get to the same goal, right? Which is minimizing taxes and minimizing penalty. When you have a third-party auditor come in, they are just trying to catch anything they can, right? They don't have the same motive as you. So that's my thought for, you know, step one of the root solution. Obviously there's a lot societally, I think that we need to work on, but that's my thought. What do you think? No, man, you hit the, hit the nail on the head, honestly, because, um, that was my main thing. Um, I did a little bit of research for this because I just wanted some kind of some stats to back up what I was thinking. 
because, you know, we are consultants, we are change management um, solution engineers. And it's hard, you know, sitting and thinking through this situation and wondering like, man, like this is happening time and time again. Like, what can we do to change it? it is, and for us, this is our job. This is what we do on a day to day basis for businesses. How can we uh, affect this? And that's what made it so tough. And that's why I wanted to do some research to figure out, you know, what kind of things we could do to, to help with that change. And and you literally led right into what I want to mention is that there is no accountability in the, in the police force. There is no um, there is nothing holding them accountable for whatever they do. And there's no, you know, no financial responsibility. They're not losing money or anything like that. And that's what I kind of wanted to bring up, because I mean, just think about it. You you go to work every day. You work your nine to five to make money for your family. Right. Most people do. And that's why most people go to work. That's why most guys are cops. They're just out there trying to make some money, make a couple of dollars. Yep. But if you make a mistake at your job or if you make a mistake at work, eventually you'll have to pay for that or pay for a penalty or or, or pay for a mistake that you made or get fired. Correct. Um, but for the least, they have such a strong union. If they get fired, some of them will still hold on to their pension. If they go to jail, some of them will still hold on to their pension for their families. Um, and I think there needs to be just a, a little bit of more you know, financial responsibility on them um, as a whole, as an incentive um, to do less police misconduct, to do less police brutality um, with you know, us being taxpayers, all of the money that we pay as taxes go to police. And at mm. this point, we're paying for schools and we're also paying for misconduct. <laughs> and we should yep. be concerned about all of this because you know there are rogue cops out there running around not being smart and, and economically that's just not smart for us. We're paying for somebody else's jobs and somebody else's mess ups. Um, governments actually take uh, insurance claims out for police misconduct. Governments take um, bonds out for police misconduct as well from, you know, um, financial institutions such as Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, the works. Um, they're called police brutality bonds. So they'll take out a, a bond for, say, $10 million and then we'll pay back the interest of five, five million dollars or whatever the case may be. The sad part about that is the taxpayers are going to pay all of that. So the taxpayers are going to pay back $15 million to these financial institutions to pay for the police brutality that occurred in their city and their, in, in their municipalities. Um, and I think that's what we need to change as a whole. Maybe, um, maybe some of that money comes out of the police pension funds. Maybe some of that money comes out of their um, individual paychecks, or maybe they have to pay for their own lawyers. This way, um, if it comes out of the pension fund, other cops, like you mentioned, will hold the bad cops responsible because it's going to come out of all of their pensions um, and make everybody be held accountable a little bit more to make sure they're doing a great job and that they're not losing money. Because you know what? Everyone hates losing money. Um, from businesses all the way down to the economy. Money talks, yeah. Yeah, money, money talks. talks, absolutely. And I think that would be a great way just to incentivize um, helping the police and hold each other accountable. Um, the other thing I, I kind of thought of as well as I was thinking through the situation is I used to sell insurance, um, basically like a financial advisor in a sense. And um, every time I would, you know, have to go in and pay the cost for the company I was working with, you know, to use their platform, to use their products, I had to pay also errors and emissions, uh, which is basically just insurance out of my paycheck, out of my pocket to make sure that if I mess up anybody's financial situation, that there will be some money there to cover that loss. Um, just like doctors and I believe dentists as well have to pay for malpractice insurance for themselves. Now, these doctors might not ever mess up. They might have a spot spot on record and never have to use this money that goes into malpractice insurance, but they have it there just in case they hurt someone or, or you know, botch a surgery or something like that. There's a money in a fund that'll help pay for that. If police officers had an, an errors and emissions account or, you know, a little $150, $200 to come out of their check every month just to set aside to pay for police misconduct or police brutality settlements, That'll be another incentive to do that less, you know, another incentive for them not taking money out of their pockets um, or at least not take the money out of our taxpaying pockets. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and that way you have more better money, more money for roads. You have better money for schools in your area. And that leads to better education for all. And that leads to uh, better understanding with the police and, and discussion with the police as a community as a whole. Um, so some of those situations that you brought up as well. Um, just holding each other accountable is definitely kind of what I'm seeing as well. Just they need a a more of an incentive or something that'll help bring change a little bit sooner. 
Yeah. So really it sounds like what you're saying is going from a setup that is very reactive, right? Mm -hmm. As far mm -hmm. as where the government is investing in police brutality bonds that says, Hey, this is going to happen. This is how we're going to cover it. So instead of maybe going with the reactive approach, it sounds like you think we should go on a proactive approach, which I agree with. It's similar to what we do with our clients, right? Which is the proactive approach is, okay, do we take that money invested in further training for police officers? Do we take that money and invest it in a third party investigation service to look into this? I mean, I think for me, when I, you brought up a great point, which is if you make mistakes in your job, eventually there's going to be some sort of either financial or, uh, you know, vocational penalty for that. Right. And so I think, you know, in the situation of the officer in Minnesota, um, he had 12 demerits on his account. Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that if I had 12, I wouldn't make it to 12 right? right, right. In, in, in my setting professionally. Right. Uh, so I think that for me, I think that, you know, the solution really goes to everything you mentioned, which is being proactive. And I think that includes going into investigations with, you know, existing demerits that exist on accounts across the country. Right. right. I also think, you know, to the, what you talked about as far as, you know, something coming out for the negative, I think there should be a lot more emphasis on cops that are good cops that do things to help in our community that are protective of, of folks that go on. I, I don't know exactly what that looks like as far as a reward system, but I think you have to have something on the other side as well uh, that incentivizes them. Cause at the end of the day, you know, police officers are not super highly paid. Right. So, you know, trying to find ways to better incentivize them to be better trained to, you know, to move through that, I, I think is good. And then, you know, like we talked about finding a way to be proactively, searching for accountability, I think, I think is a great solution. Absolutely. I mean, just like you said, incentives are, are move the world, man. I mean, uh, money makes the world go round and, and say we do have a, a good cop out there that is, uh, you know, informing, uh, or, or advising on a quote unquote bad cop to make better decisions for them all. Because in a sense of, hey, if, even if they have their uh, errors and emissions that comes out or say um, that the taxpayers are like paying less for their misconduct, maybe some of those dollars can move toward um, sa higher salaries for police. Maybe that'll yep. be the incentive um, for them for having less demerits or something like that on their record. Um, I, I completely agree with that because, I mean, <laughs> just like you said, you would probably wouldn't make it to 12 demerits in, in our field of work. And I just kind of think about like your common uh, NFL player uh, that gets fined for uh, not wearing his uniform correctly or gets fined for uh, a, a illegal hit on the field. They'll, they'll, the money comes directly out of their paycheck every single week. But an officer that swore an, an oath to protect and to serve, like doesn't get fined and doesn't have any financial responsibility um, when they do make a mistake, which I think is a little backwards. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So let's switch gears a little bit for a second here. I think, I think we covered a lot on the solution front. I think we talked a lot about the core issue and really how we can find a solution for that. So I think maybe let's talk a little bit about the, the response. Let's talk mm -hmm. about the protests. Let's talk about the riots that have gone on. I, I think I would love to start with our home city of Houston. I know that, you know, we're both around it. I think the riots that occurred or the, uh, the protests that took place in downtown Houston over the last couple of days were awesome. There was, you know, 70,000 people, it was incredibly, you know, well put together. There were people of all races, all colors, all backgrounds marching mm -hmm. together to support this. You had, you know, you know Chief Art Acevedo was out there leading and marching with people, right? I think that's pretty, that's pretty telling of what's going on. So mm -hmm. for me, I think that was a great example of how, you know, America can unite. I think that, you know, having unity, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your community and your family, I think is extremely key. Absolutely. I, I definitely loved what I was hearing from the protest in Houston um, and the police chief as well, um, stepping in and walking with the people and stepping in and, and discussing and uh, discussing topics with the people out there um, at the protest. Um, and I think that shows amazing leadership. And I think that's kind of what you need at, at this point in the game. Um, and I also love to see that most of the protests were organized. And I think this is one of the first times I'm not going to say in history, but in a long time that every single state um, in the nation 
um, had protests for the same exact issue um, going on um, within this, these past seven days. And I think that's, that's, that speaks volumes, um, like we were mentioning earlier, that these baby steps um, are all going to lead to a, a better process in the future. Yeah. And being united, like you just mentioned, I know that, you know, obviously it is the United States of America, but I do think that to your point, I saw the same statistic you did that was, you know, showing protests in all 50 states. That's pretty cool. I think that that shows that there is a united front coming from this. I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about the issues that are going on and and it really all comes down to unity, right? And being together on issues, seeing things together on issues. And Honestly, you know, the conversation we're having today is, you know, is an uncomfortable conversation that many folks don't want to have. Right. And and I I think that that drives unity, understanding the people around you, understanding what you can do, you know, to better be unified in your business, your community, I think is key. I know Alex and I mentioned that we're we're discussing this morning in the workplace, right, understanding the backgrounds of your coworkers, understanding your teams can really help build, um, you know, great unity on your team, getting feedback, having candid conversations. I think the better you can understand someone, the better you can work with them and have a unified team. Absolutely. I mean, uh, we know that those conversations are uncomfortable and it could make for, you know, uncomfortable work environments, but um, essentially it will lead to a better place overall in this nation. Yeah. So, Thanks for, you know, that conversation, Alex. I know for folks out there, that's a little different main topic than we usually have, but we felt it was really key to address it and have these conversations. So we're now going to bring on uh, our managing partner, Bobby Dixon, to talk a little bit more about this, as well as, you know, a few other topics that we think kind of tie into unity and, and the focus there. Now we're on the line with Bobby Dixon. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right, guys. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well, discussing uh, what's going on outside and the change and the protests and the rise with the social justice right now. Um, just wanted to get your take on it. Well, it's a loaded topic. Uh, it's, it's certainly a lot going on, man. I um, uh, A range of things on my mind about the topic. I, I think there's a hierarchy, Alex. I, I think there's, 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 you know, I can take it all in as a human being. Right. Um, I, I take it all in as a um, black man, you know, and then I take it all in as a black man raising a black son, mm-hmm. uh, and then as a uh, black business owner, right? You know, so I'm consuming this information from a few different perspectives, right? Um, what I will say is that uh, uh, it's, it's a combustible situation um, that that didn't just um, you know, start with this last incident, you know, and um, p- particularly, you know, those of us, you know, who are who are African-Americans. I mean, um, it's, it's sort of a uh, culmination, man, uh, of, of, of a lot of things that have happened with very little change in between those things. Right. And uh, what you see on one side is sort of peaceful demonstrations and protests against these things. But but on another side, you also see uh, desperation, right, um, because um, there's been no measures of change, right, that, that, that we can point to, to say these types of activities, you know, will stop because this implication uh, was sort of, um, you know, parted. So it is... Um, it's combustible, um, you know. I, 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 going back to a human level, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I feel like you know it should appeal to to human decency, uh, human sensitivity, and, and human compassion, you, you know, which I think are things all human beings possess, right? And I think at that level, you know, there should there should be a, a, a fine line drawn, right? You know, our eyes see what they see, right? They don't deceive us. Right. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, the human level, it, it's, it's a rallying cry. And then certainly, you know, as an African-American man, it, it, it means something uh, different. Uh, and as a man, I, I think it's a no, no matter what economic class, educational class, working class you come from as African-American men, it, it's something we all identify with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so it kind of grabs you at that level. And then, um, like, I have a 16-year-old son, right, who is, 
who is informed uh, and um, and aware of what's going on, right? And, and having to have conversations, right? And the the loss of innocence, you know, that you know young black males experience at such early ages, right? Mm-hmm. And the conversations we have to have with them, uh, it's emotionally draining, right? You know, so. I don't know about answering your question adequately, but I'll tell you that, you know, there's a range of emotions coming from a range of levels. Um, and that's before I even, you know, you know, talk about the fact that, you know, I'm a business owner at the same time. Right. right? You know, uh, managing a diverse, uh, diverse group of people, you know, around a, a certain set of goals and objectives. Um, and so just trying to be mindful of all those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you hit on a lot of the same things that Alex and I spoke on a little bit earlier, even, you know, to your last point where you talked about, you know, that that innocence and the conversations you have to have. One of the conversations that Alex and I had earlier was growing up as a white kid in a suburb, I never really had conversations with my parents around how to respond when I get pulled over, how to interact with a police officer, other than with respect, right? Other than the same thing I think all of us heard. So you bringing that up, I think is, I think is really key. And that kind of leads me into my next question, which is, you know, obviously as a parent now, like speaking to your children, you know, there's one way you think about it, but you know, you're in a unique situation as well, Bobby, where you have family that are longtime police officers. I think you mentioned earlier that your mom was one of the first black police officers in, you know, in the force in her area. So maybe if you could talk us through a little bit about like your view of, uh, you know, the situation with the police right now in the country, as well as, you know, the experience of a, a family that grew up with a black police officer in the family. Sure. You know, and, I, and I'll just kind of start right where we're at uh, in, a, in a very real and, and raw way. Right. I was at the protest just yesterday, uh, peaceful protest here in Houston. My son was out there and so was my daughter. And, uh, you know, you saw the signs F the police and, 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 and this, that and the other. And, and um, you know, so as the chance began to grow, um, you know, I had to stop my son and say, hey, you know, your grandmother's a police, uh, your, your uncle's a police, uh, you know, so so let's let's understand, right, um, what, what we are saying here and, and, and understand, you know, Tane, to your point that, you know, having police officers in the family uh, been on both sides of this, right? You know, there were racial tensions in Dallas where I grew up in the 70s and 80s. Uh, my mom was on the force for 35 years. Uh, and I saw my mom have to suit up, right? You know, and work the lines, right? You know, to police uh, responsibly um, and diligently, right? You know, and, and I've, I've seen my mom uh, beaten up, right? You know, and, 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 and come home uh, you know, wearing bruises, you know, of the job and, and, and all those sorts of things. And so you're talking about your mother, mm-hmm. right? You know, so I, I understand the, and have a high regard for the obligations and duties of responsible police officers uh, and hold them in great regard. So as I was talking to my son yesterday, you know, it's like you, you, you have to understand that there's an individual story behind every badge, right? You, you know, and, and, um, uh, so you, you can't you can't judge the badge itself, not even in these times. Absolutely. Right. Um, on the flip side, uh, you, you know, it was, uh, you know, my parents had to have the conversations with me. I have to have the conversations with my children. Unfortunately, when you're raising black children, uh, particularly black young men, um, it's sort of counterintuitive. Right. You typically say if you, if you make wise decisions do what you're supposed to do, right? You know, good things happen. I mean, you know, good, good choices, good consequences, bad choices, bad consequences. That's kind of the old saying, right? The conversations that we have with our children are a little different, right? You know, it, it's, it's, I tell my son, man, he's a, he's a, he's a 4.3 GPA student, uh, national debate champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the list goes on and on, right? You know, but when he is in the streets, um, you know, away from his parents. He's none of those things. He is a black young man. Right. You know what I mean? Um, uh, who is often perceived as a threat, you know, to, to whatever's going on. And in those moments, there's going to be no inquiry into his pedigree, 
uh, his performance, right? You know, or any of those things, right? You know, and so he's got to be mindful of those things at all times, right? He he just uh, turned 16, so license to drive and and all those sorts of things, and so. Uh, again, we're not we're not talking about a kid in into trouble, right? You know, uh, right. We're, we're talking about a, a, an exceptional kid, right? You know, who could find himself for no other reason, you know, than he's a black boy in a situation, right? And what I try to tell him is that you know there there's 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 some situations when you find yourself in them, not if but when, right? You know, you have to handle yourself a certain way mm-hmm. because the objective is to get home. Right. You know, um, and in that moment, right, we can we can go back to kind of Mr. Floyd and what happened there. I mean, it was the, the, the most emotionally draining aspect of that was to hear him call for his mom, who I'm told is, is, is actually, you know, um, uh, gone along with us. Right. But in those moments, man, we can't get there as parents. Right. Right. You, you know, so so the objective is to get home. Um, the objective, the objective is to not necessarily be right in that moment, you know, but, but to get home. Right. And that's, that, that's counterintuitive, <laughs> right. When, when you're also trying to raise people to stand for, uh, right and, and against right. wrong and, and, and all those sorts of things. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a range of thoughts, right. But getting back to your question, I mean, uh, because I, because I know law enforcement, because I was raised by law enforcement, uh, there, there's no way I could sit here and make a general statement, you know, about uh, police officers or, or, or what it means to police and, and all those sorts of things. That's a there's an individual behind every badge, right? Uh, yep. You know that that's got to give an account for his or her own individual ideology and 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 and, and, and everything, right? You know, but but then on the home front for me, you know, I'm now find myself a parent, you know, of of a young man coming of age. Uh, in a very combustible time, uh, and so it's challenging, right? I mean, you, you, you know, you—it's emotionally draining to have to have those conversations. But mm-hmm. you know, that's 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 what we do. Understood, understood. Um, and just listen to you speak about your background, speak about your family, uh, with your mom being a police officer, and you're taking your children out to the protest yesterday. Um, how do you, I guess, put it all into perspective as we are? change management architects here at Athenian Consulting Group. Um, do you see as protests being the next steps or protests being uh, where we need to make some change or, or are these just steps in the right direction? So that's a great question. Uh, and I'm going to go back to kind of, you know, the the, the, the 60s, right? Uh, an era that I'm very familiar with. And that was, you know, when we visibly saw protests for civil rights uh, and those sorts of things. And what I will say is, until 1968, right, we largely protested uh, and did those things for the right to be counted um, in, in, in a segregated world, right? The, the amount to the, the right to be sort of, you know, counted uh, in the mainstream uh, and the right to vote, right, uh, and and to be in a position to enable change. And so, you know, those things have happened largely in terms of desegregation and the right to vote if you just take those two things, right? And so now we still have under our uh, First Amendment the right to protest, right? You know, um, but there's an obligation, right, because we're staying on the shoulders of people who couldn't vote uh, and people who couldn't coexist in mainstream environments and that sort of thing, right? And so a deeply depressing outcome uh, would be you know, to kind of emerge from these protests, right? Uh, and to not forget who you vote for, right? For a second, right? Uh, but to not exercise that right, you know? So Alex, when you talk about change, uh, the government that we live in and the country that we live in, there's a few ways you can impact change, right? You know, and one of them is the right that all citizens have when they come of age to vote. Right. And so exercising that vote at local, state and national levels. Uh, And the other um, is to um, exercise uh, freedom of speech. Right. You know, and and, and to start engaging in in meaningful and productive dialogue, uh, maybe less explosive dialogue, but but more productive dialogue uh, with people who don't share the same ideals as you. 
right? You know, uh, so these conversations have to start transcending the communities that we're all, you know, part of and familiar with as individuals, right? And, and bridge over to other communities uh, and actually have dialogue, mm-hmm. right? Understanding, you know, that at the end of the day, we may agree to disagree, uh, right? But if we start getting back to that human level, you know, understanding each other as people, I think that's when, when, when you know, when, when true change starts to happen, right? You know, most people cannot uh, invest in things they don't understand. Uh, and most people, you know, won't understand, you know, things that they haven't been able to uh, uh, consume meaningful information about, right? And so that's why I say it starts with conversations. Yeah, and I think I want to circle back a little bit to what you said earlier and tied into your answer to that last question. You talked about the kind of multiple hats you're wearing right now as far as your feelings and your response, right? So you talked about as an individual, as a father, and then as a business owner. So I want to kind of go that last one here. As a business owner at this time, you just talked about the importance of productive dialogue. Alex and I spoke on that earlier in the podcast about how that's really helped with each other and in our community. But as we you know, return back to work from the pandemic. And now, you know, with kind of tensions high and, and a lot of this going on, how is you, how would you as a business owner start to bring some of those productive conversations that need to happen into a place where traditionally many folks have stayed away from that? Uh, very interesting question, Tane, and, I, and I've thought about it. You, you know, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's a, a, a guy by the name of Milton Friedman uh, who kind of penned the, the Friedman Doctrine, uh, among among other things. In it was this idea that that a business owner's sole responsibility or a leader's sole responsibility is to deliver value to uh, uh, the business's shareholders. Um, you know, counterclaims to that was that, you know, business owners and leaders have an obligation to the communities that they're in, uh, the community at large, uh, employees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, so th- this debate has raged, you know, well before today, right? Uh, for me personally, I, I, I think that, that, that we certainly have a responsibility to our shareholders, first and foremost, as, as fiduciary stewards, right? But situations like these, right, for me, you know, call for, uh, community, social, uh, and civic responsibility, right? You know, to 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 check on our employees, uh, you know, their families, their personal situations. Because even before this this last uh, civil unrest situation, we had a we had a global health pandemic, <laughs> right? You know, um, and and although shareholder value is important. Uh, and that's why we're in these businesses for profit, right? The people who, who help drive that value are even more important. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it's time to, to to push pause for a for a moment, right? You know, just to just to check in on people, you know, as business leaders, right? You know, simply, are you okay? You know, how you holding up? How's your family? Uh, not only, you know, would those things go a long way in terms of um, just sort of, uh, you know, helping build loyalty and, and, and all those things with the organization. It's just at a human level, again, you know, the right thing to do. So so balancing um, human compassion, right, with, with business leadership, right, you know, I, I think is just, just paramount right now, right? You know, people are, are at their wits' ends. In, in, in many situations, right? Um, proverbially, you know, paycheck to paycheck in some cases, and some even stretch further than that, right? You know, leverage to the hilt. Uh, you know, some dealing with, you know, family health crises, if, if not, you know, just your personal health crises, uh, loss of loved ones. Um, you know, and that was all before the events of last week, right? Which has brought the world to a standstill. So, you know, in the interest of long-term uh, health, you know, for the company and in its employees, I think in the short term, it's it's a time to press pause, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, you know, we, we, we always analyze and evaluate, right? Run models and all that type of stuff. So it's a time to, to just analyze the situations that our people are in as individuals, um, evaluate them, right? And then make the right decisions, you know, on their behalf. I mean, that, that's what that's what a leader will do. So, um, like I said, you know, Friedman, you know, created this debate, 
many years ago. Uh, anybody listening can read it, uh, and people have been and will be on on the opposite ends of of, of that spectrum. For me personally, I, I think a business leader's responsibility is both to its shareholders, uh, but then also you know to its people, to its community, um, and you know that's that's sort of the way I'm trying to go about things right now. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And we thank you so much for, for your insight today, both personally and professionally. I know this is a heavy time for you know everyone in the world right now for a lot of reasons. And I know there's a lot of hurt. So we appreciate the insight. We appreciate the guidance, Bobby. And you know we're looking forward to talking to you uh, again next week. Great, guys. Y'all hang in there. All right. Now we're heading to the cool down. So, Tanya, what are you reading, listening to, you know, helping out with your growth and productivity? So I've been spending a lot of my time recently, like I think most of America has actually reading and listening to interviews from a whole variety of people um, mm-hmm. over the last week. I think that's one of the best things we can do right now. I think understanding people's perspective will help shape how to grow ourselves mm-hmm. uh, to be, you know, you know, better friends, better clients, better colleagues, whatever it may be, but also too will give you a good understanding of what's going on and and prepare us for the upcoming election in the fall. What about you? Gotcha, gotcha. Um kind of been doing the same thing, listening to interviews, listening to podcasts here and there. Um just for our listeners, um kind of tying into our topic of today. Um you check out a couple of documentaries on Netflix. Um one is uh, When They See Us. Um it's about the Central Park Five. Um, a couple guys that were wrongly convicted and had to spend a few years in jail before they were uh, their conviction was overturned um, by the uh, Innocence Project, um, and also kind of check check out um, a Netflix documentary called Thirteenth. Um, it kind of speaks to the business of private prisons um, yep. and why uh, the police are kind of incentivized of putting more black and brown people into those private prisons. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. So we have. Two big threes today. I know this podcast has a little been a little heavier than usual. Um, so we have, you know, kind of I think one that Alex and I are gonna do together is a big three, but then we're gonna have one that's a little lighter. So our first big three is actions we can take um together, changes we can make to, you know, better society and better our experience. So Alex, you wanna go ahead and, and go through the first one? Yeah. So the first one that we wanted to call out is just like kind of emailing uh, your seniors and your mayors. It's just something you can do right now to help out the situation, help out the cause. Um, and, and basically just asking for, for police to be held responsible for their police misconduct. Um, it happens in all of our states. It happens all over the country. Um, and it's not just a racial thing at some points. Um, in police misconduct, uh, we need everybody to be held accountable for it, just like we're held accountable in our jobs on a day to day basis. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the second one we have is the conversation we had today, right? Talk with your friends, talk with your families, talk with people in your community. And I would advise talk with people from different backgrounds than you. Mm-hmm. Try and understand the different perspectives. I think the better we can understand each other, like I said, same as in business, the better we can interact with each other. Absolutely. And then the last one kind of feeds right into that second one. Um, just get informed uh, from just using you know, different multimedia sources and not just watching one current station that you're in love with, like Fox News or CNN, or just getting all your information from Twitter. Switch it up a little bit. Um, and then that way, uh, we'll, you'll be able to learn about the real issues leading the divide in this country today. Um, and basically, the why we're having the same issues that we had in 1920 that we're seeing in 2020. Yeah, understand that holistic view for sure. So our second big three is and guys we'll put links to some of the things we talked about in the podcast uh bio so that you can have links for some of the good ways to email a senator and and some of the media that alex discussed Uh Um, our second big three is um, things that you can do to clear your mind i think there's a lot of tension i think that people have been in quarantine for a long time i think there's a lot of upset upsetting things that are happening so we thought, you know, a big three of things to clear your mind is good for yourself professionally, but also personally. Um, so I'll go ahead and go with my first one here. So my first one is working out. I think that for me in my lifetime, going to the gym, going for a bike ride has always been a great way to clear my head and allow me to just kind of relieve stress. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm right there with you. My first one is just take a walk, um, just go outside, get out the house. 
Uh, take a deep breath, smell the fresh air. Um, just get away from your screens for a little while. That'll help you clear your mind a little bit. Yeah, that's great. I actually had that one as my honorable mention. So that's perfect. I think you hit on a point in there that is my second one. So my second point is just to unplug. We live in a world that is blessed to have so much information flow so rapidly. It's great for so many things, but it is also, you know, our human mind can get pretty overwhelmed pretty quick. So find some time throughout the day to get away from screens, even if it's, you know, sitting and reading or going for a walk like Alex mentioned. Absolutely. Um, my second one is uh, do some yoga. Um, it's a great stress reliever. Um, it's a great release for your body. Um, it's helping with stretching and overall uh, just physical health. Um, helps get you back centered with yourself and helps you, you know, get get balanced. Yeah, that's a great one. I think yoga meditation is awesome. My third one was this is a little unconventional, but for me, this always really helps clear my mind is doing chores around the house. So if I'm putting away dishes, if I'm vacuuming, whatever, you know, putting away laundry, I know for me, it's almost mindless, uh, which is great because I can just focus on the task. I don't know how many uh, of our listeners are going to take you up on that advice, buddy, but uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> it's good for your life, too. All I hear, right? it's I good hear, for your I life. hear It does. You know, it helps you get organized. You know, it helps tidy up some things. Uh, my third one, um, it's just like that. Kind of do some mindless things like, you know, play some video games, read a book, um, just find a zone and escape to a different world for a little while. Um, something that's not focused on your day to day life, maybe play a video game with cartoons or read a book about some fantasy world. And maybe that'll help you not think about what's going on down the street sometimes. For sure. Let it, let it kind of travel away. So we aren't going to have a Q and a this week. Um, we figured with everything that's going on and with the topic we talked about today. So we're going to save Q and a for next week. So next week we'll be back with a normal episode format. We'll you know cover some topics to help you in your business and, and in your personal life, you know, make sure to submit those questions. Um, and you know, we're excited for that as well. But like I said, we felt that today's topic was incredibly important for us to talk about, um, and, and share kind of, our backgrounds and our thoughts on it so that you can better apply it to your personal life, to your professional life and really understand what's going on, you know, in the world. I think it's important for us to be aware. So as always, and especially this week, guys, especially this week, take time to breathe and focus on your current situation. Adversity breeds ingenuity and wise counsel leads to sustainable results.